All right. Well, hey, welcome again. Hey, this morning, before we get started, um, I want to just uh, recognize a couple of people who are uh, some guests with us today. We've got Mark Taylor, who's a Spotsy County Administrator right over here. So you guys welcome Mark this morning. Thank you for uh, coming out here and uh, doing that. And then also, uh, Dr. Sizemore, Dr. Bob Sizemore is Pastor Emeritus over at uh, Fairview, or Fairview Baptist Church in Charlotte Street. I saw him earlier here, so you guys welcome him as well. I'm not sure where he is. And then you guys give it up for everybody who's a guest here today. We're so glad that you are here to join us. As we continue this new this series that we're in called Love Fredericksburg. So if you are new, uh, we're in this series where we're, we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to, to do what Jesus said, to, to love our neighbors. Um, in the Bible, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing we can do in life? And he said, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so for this series, we, we've taken some ideas out of a book called The Art of Neighboring, written by two pastors in Colorado, looking at this idea of, you know, what if we took Jesus' command to love our neighbors literally? And we begin to look at the people that live right around us. And we call this series Love Fredericksburg because we also want to do the same thing here. But we all know this, that, that some of you, you don't live in Fredericksburg, so it may be Love Spotsylvania County. It may be Love Stafford, Love King George. But the idea is that wherever you are, God has put you there for a purpose. And God has placed around you, whether you like it or not, the people he has around you. So that you and so, the, so, the, so that we can, can be people who learn to love as Jesus did. Well, so as we continue the series today, I want to kind of talk a little bit more about how do we live out this idea of really loving people, to, to love our neighbors. And so if you have your note sheet, take that out. Um, when you came in, there was this card on your, your, uh, your chair. Just ignore that for the next like 20 minutes. Okay, just got to put that away. We'll talk about that in a minute, but don't get caught up on that yet. Um, because I want to share some things with you today. Um, John chapter 1 shares a story with us. So if you have a Bible or your phone tablet, pull that out, John chapter 1. But then also, um, it'll also be on the screen as well. So we see this story of uh, Jesus interacting with some people. Jesus is our model for how to live life. And we're going to look a little bit more about how Jesus loved the people that God put around him. So John chapter 1, let's read this together. It says, the following day, John, now who's John? John the Baptist, okay? So John the Baptist was the, the, the prophet that God sent to come before Jesus to announce that the Savior of the world, that the, the Redeemer of the world, Jesus, was, was coming. And that his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his, his truth was going to be arriving soon. And, and when John would call people to believe in this promise of this Jesus who was coming, he would baptize them like we did today. And so they called him John the Baptist. And so it says the following day, John the Baptist was again standing with two of his disciples. So two people who were following him and learning from him. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the lamb of God. It's a foreshadowing to the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. So when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. So we see Jesus inviting these two men to come and to see, to come and, and, and stay with him, to come and spend time with him. 
It says this in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that John said what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and he told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ or a Savior. It says, Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we see this, this, this natural thing happen, that, that Andrew goes and accepts the invitation of Jesus. He goes to spend time with Jesus. He has this significant encounter with the, the person of Jesus. And then immediately he goes and to go get his brother and bring his brother back so his brother can experience what he has seen in Jesus. Well, so this, the next day, this is in verse 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, come follow me. So once again, we see Jesus inviting people to come and follow him. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and he told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? So Nazareth was like the podunk town of the area, right? And it's kind of like, he's from Nazareth? Like, what, what good comes out of Nazareth, right? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. So what's so interesting in this passage is you see this pattern developing. This pattern of people accepting the invitation of Jesus, experiencing Jesus, and then immediately going to share what they experienced with somebody that they knew. We, we see that, that Andrew spends time with Jesus, and then he goes to find his brother, Simon, who Jesus says, from now on, I'm going to call you Peter, because I've got something I want to do in your life. And then in the same way, we see Philip goes and follows Jesus, and then goes and finds Nathaniel, and says, you've got to come check this out. You've got to see what I've seen. All throughout the Bible, you see this pattern developing. This pattern of people accepting the invitation of Jesus. Jesus doing something significant in their life. And then them going and taking that significant message along with an invitation and sharing with the people closest to them the invitation to come and see for themselves. And so as we talk today about this idea of Neighboring, this idea of loving our neighbor, of really putting a focus around those who are closest to us. We, we want to see this idea. Is that in life and in scripture, we see that people share what is significant. If you're taking notes, write that down. That, that people share what's significant. There's something about all of us where if we experience something that's significant, we want to share that with the people that we care about. Now, back in 2006, the world was changed. And there were a lot of things that were happening in 2006, but one of the things that changed the world and changed relationships and the idea of community, probably more than anything else, was Facebook went public, right? Before that, in 2004, Mark Zuckerberg founded Facebook to be used on the Harvard campus, and it was just for those who had Harvard email addresses. Then in 2006, he said, listen, let's expand this idea. And so anybody beginning in 2006 who had a valid email address could join this social media experiment called Facebook. And, and now there's over one and a quarter billion people who are connected to Facebook, who are active users with Facebook. 
Social media, not just Facebook, but Instagram and Twitter has really changed how we can interact with people for the good and for the bad in some ways. But what it did was it gave us an opportunity to get to know people that that maybe came at a, a distance away from us. We can stay connected with people that we used to be friends with. We can connect with those around us without necessarily having to be face-to-face. But one of the things that we saw that kind of happened over the progression of Facebook was we began to share more and more of our lives and what we believe to be significant with the people around us. And then we also had the choice of what are we going to share from the lives of other people. So when you go to Facebook, if you're, if you're not on Facebook, most of us probably are, and really any social media site, there, there's several things you can do. Somebody shares a post. It could be a picture of their kids. It could be the, the dinner that they ate that night. It could be an article or a news story. And then you've got several options of how you want to respond to that post. One thing you can do is you can like it, right? You can like it. And you can actually like it now with different emojis, right? So you can like it with a big smile. You can like it with tears, you know, because you don't really like it, but you don't want to dislike it anyway. But like, you, you have to like it. You're saying, okay, listen, I'm responding to what you shared with me. The next thing you can do is you can comment on it. And when you comment on it, you're commenting, you know, maybe uh, to that person and to a smaller group, but you're not really putting it out there for the world. But then there's the share button. And the share button, here's what it does. The share button allows you to take what you've read, what you've seen, what you now believe to be significant enough that you want to share it with all of your followers and your friends, and you click share, and you can share it publicly, privately, all that kind of stuff. But you take that and you share it with others. Now, I don't know about you, but it takes a different commitment level on my part to do those three things. Like, it's not that hard to like somebody's post. Frankly, nobody's going to know I liked it or not. Because typically, a lot of people are liking posts. My middle daughter, Piper, doesn't have Facebook. She has Instagram. And I watch her on Instagram, and she just scrolls like, scroll like, scroll like. I'm like, do you know what you're liking? She's like, no. I'm like, why are you liking it? She goes, because it would be rude not to. Right? I'm like, babe, that story did not need to be liked. You know, like, so we're having to have that conversation, right? But like, it's, it's easy to like something. Just say, yeah, I like it. Right, right? Well, then comment on it. It takes a little bit more, right? You know, I've actually got to, you know, say something. I've got to respond to that person. So you typically comment, you know, not as much as you like for me anyway, but you comment. You know, but if I'm going to share something, I've got to see that as a significant thing. Because I'm now saying to whoever that I either agree with this, I don't agree with this. I'm putting my name on whatever I'm sharing. And I don't know about you, but there's been a couple times where I've accidentally hit the share button and I had to unshare pretty quick. Because I wasn't meaning to share that. But here's the thing, is I think even on Facebook, we don't, if you've got good etiquette, we don't share everything. Like we come across posts that we don't feel are significant enough for us to share with the people we're connected to. But when something is significant, we share it. But not just it with social media, but that's who, that's who we are as people, Right? You know, like, you know, something happens in, in, in your life. You want to go tell your, your, your good friend at work or you want to, you know, tell your family. You want to tell your spouse. You want to share because that significant thing happened to you. You know, something that, that, that's meaningful, something that's important, something that's valuable. When it's significant to us, we want to share that. Well, what we see happening in this story we read and all throughout Scripture is that when people experience Jesus... And they realized the significance that Jesus brought to their life. The natural thing to do 
was to go and share that with the people that were around him. We, we, we see this. We see that, that Andrew went and shared about Jesus with his brother, Simon. We see that Philip did the same thing. When he encountered Jesus, he went and shared with Nathaniel. And so here's what this has to do with this idea of neighboring and loving our neighbor. Is if Jesus is truly significant to us, we need to be people that are sharing that significance with those around us. That we don't need to be people that just click like on Jesus. That just like Jesus, that just go to church, that just kind of do our own thing and kind of keep it to ourselves because nobody really knows we like it, you know, just except for that one person. We don't need to be people that just spend time commenting on Jesus. But if we're truly going to love our neighbors, truly going to do as Jesus calls us to, we need to be people that share what's significant. And so either we don't find Jesus to be significant or maybe we're too nervous or uncertain of how we can share. But what I want to talk today is this, because we, we see this pattern developing in this story. And it's really these three steps. And there are three steps in the progression of sharing that, that, that I think we need to be focused on as, as followers of Jesus, if that's you know, kind of who you are today. But, but the biggest thing is this, is even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I want to maybe share some things with you that may help you understand what we should be doing that maybe we're not doing. And so the first thing is this, is that we see in this story and all throughout Scripture that, that, that the first thing that, that we do is, is we, we invest in people. So in the story we just read, when, when, uh, when Andrew goes to Simon and Philip goes to Nathaniel, they went to people who they had a relationship with. They had invested in that relationship. They had spent time with the people. They, they, they had a, a relationship to go and to share the invitation of Jesus. And so they had that investment. Then they, they, they not just invested in that, but they actually took time to invite. That they invited them in. They said, listen, because I care about you, because I love you, because I've now experienced something I believe to be significant, not just for me, but for you, that they gave an invitation for that person to take a step toward Jesus, to come and see, to come and hang out. Hey, I've met the Messiah. I've met the Savior of the world. I met the one the Old Testament talks about. And then that when they showed up, we see that they were included. And so if you're taking notes, write those, those three things down in the blanks right there. To invest, to invite, and to include. Because see, when they brought people to Jesus, Jesus brought them in. He included them in the greater story. He gave them a place to belong. He gave them a place to be accepted. He poured his life into them now. But this same idea of investing in people, inviting them to take a step toward Jesus, and then including them in the story of Jesus and what God is doing, is, I believe, the steps that we need to learn how to take in a more effective way if we're truly going to learn how to love the people around us. Let's, let's kind of talk about that. This is the idea of investing. What, what, is, what does it mean to invest, right? Well, when you invest in something, you give of yourself for that thing. So if you're investing in a company, you're giving money, something that is valuable to you, and you're investing it into that. If you're maybe a, a, a coach and you're a volunteer coach on the soccer field, you're giving your time. You're not going to get, you know, like this big accolades for, you know, for coaching six-year-olds, but why do you do it? You're investing into their lives because why? Because you value them. 
So when we invest in people, it means this, that we're loving others as Jesus did and Jesus does. That we're seeing how did Jesus invest in people? And then we begin to do that same thing, realizing that how he loved them then and and when he was on the earth is how he also loves them today. And so we're talking about how do we love people? And this is the crux, really, of what we've been talking about in this whole series. And it comes back to that great commandment. That, that Matthew chapter 28, we've been looking at Luke 10, but in Matthew 28, Jesus also says what's most important. And he says it's to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He said that these two commandments, right? Go to the next slide. So that these two commandments, right? That all the law, all the prophet, every good teaching, every true teaching in the Bible, it all hangs on these two things. To love God and to love our neighbor. And so when we talk about investing in people, we're talking about loving him the way Jesus did and the way Jesus does. Loving him sacrificially, unconditionally, without end. But we got to be careful because here's the thing that can happen. Is in our quest to love people, sometimes we can develop the wrong motives. We can develop the wrong motives. Here's what I mean by that. In the book, The Art of Neighboring, they talk about really the two motives that we can fall into in um, how we care for people, how we love people. And the first one's this. It's, it's we need to be careful that we don't come across and we don't have an ulterior motive. We don't have an ulterior motive. Well, what's an ulterior motive? Well, an ulterior motive is this. is it, it's, it's something intentionally kept concealed. That basically what we're saying is not really what we mean. That, that what we're trying to accomplish is something that we don't want people to know. So it's kind of the idea, like if you ever get that phone call, you know, hey, you want a two-night free vacation in Washington, D.C., and you're like, okay, you know there's a catch. That they don't really mean you've won a free vacation. What they mean is, is that you say yes to this, and then I'm going to have your attention to kind of pitch you to buy something else, right? Or, you know, maybe, you know, somebody comes to you and they, they friend you on Facebook, but as soon as you accept their friend request, you recognize this. All they wanted to do was bombard you with sales stuff, right? Or maybe you, you, know, you, you go into an email and you sign up for an email account, and then all of a sudden you're getting all these emails from all these other places that you never signed up for, and you recognize that whatever you signed up for wasn't really the main goal. The motive wasn't to get you to sign up for that. It was to get you involved in all these other things. Well, we got to be careful because sometimes if, if we're not careful, we can kind of come across loving people with an ulterior motive. That we're really loving them because we want something from them. Or we want them to do something. And so they talk about in this book that we need to make sure as followers of Jesus we don't have an ulterior motive. But we need to recognize that we do have an ultimate motive. And the ultimate motive is this. It's it's where we're wanting to go. What's that end destination? What's that end point? That that ultimately, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this because of a bigger picture. In the book, they talk about it this way. Let's go to this quote. And they say this. They say that the ulterior motive in good neighboring must never be to share the gospel. So the, the, the hidden motive, the bait and switch motive, that why we love people, it shouldn't be to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But the ultimate motive is just that, to share the story of Jesus and his impact on our lives. So they say, listen, the bait and switch isn't to love somebody so you can tell them about Jesus. But the end goal is, is as you love people, ultimately, you want them to hear about Jesus. It all comes back to your motive. Here's what they say. 
They say, this is a big difference. The agenda we need to drop is the well-meaning tendency to be friends with people for the sole purpose of converting them to our faith. We don't love our neighbors to convert them or, or lead them to become followers of Jesus. We love our neighbors because we have been converted, because God has changed us. I say, listen, the, the end goal of loving our neighbors of this series isn't to, to love our neighbors so we can get something from them. Now, do we want them to experience Jesus? Absolutely. But if we go into the relationship putting conditions on our love, it's not truly love in the way that Jesus did. They go on to say this. And the truth is that many Christians have been taught by well-meaning people that they should do nice things solely for an opportunity to have spiritual conversations. But Jesus never called us to use a bait-and-switch approach where we become friends with people only to share spiritual truths with them. We're called to love people, period. Whether those people ever take any steps toward God is beside the point. We're called to love our neighbors unconditionally without expecting anything in return. It's a fine line to walk to make sure that we have the right motive in how we reach out to people, how we love people. And I think it's easy for us to fall into the, the ulterior motive if we're not careful. Well, what does it mean, though? How do, we, how do we know we're having the right motive? Well, I think it maybe comes down to this. Like, so let's say you're talking to your neighbor and you invite them to come to church and they tell you no. Do you treat them the same way the following day as you did the day before? Well, that would be the ultimate motive. You talk to your neighbor and you say, hey, can I, can I tell you about Jesus and, and what he means to my life? And they say, I'm not ready to hear that right now. Do you end the conversation right there and it's kind of like, okay, well, fine. Or do you continue to do the same things you did before? If you change the way you approach them because they've said no to what you were ultimately hoping for their life, then you've got to be careful. We got to be careful. We might have an ulterior motive. It's kind of like this. I think sometimes churches go and they, they do stuff in the community not to love people, but to get people to do something back for them. It's like, I'm going to go serve you so you'll come to my church. And, and we see people talking about that. And well-meaning Christians who get mad and frustrated churches saying, well, why should we go reach out to that group? They're never going to come to us. Or why should we reach out to that group? Why should we reach out to those in poverty? They're, not, they're never going to give to our church. We reach out to the people God calls us to because we're called to love, not because of what they can give us in return. And so we see that Jesus, it says, loved the world. He loved people. He invested in people. He had compassion on the crowds when he was on the cross. He was on the cross. It says this, that, that he was saying, Father, forgive them to the very people that were rejecting him and crucifying him. So we begin by investing in people, loving them unconditionally, not to get something from them or to get them somewhere, but ultimately hoping that because we're doing what God has called us to do, they will come to know what we believe to be most significant. But even if they don't, we're going to love them anyway. And then as we're investing in people, we, we look for ways to invite. 
We look for ways to invite. And to invite somebody is this. It's, it's leading people, right, to, to take that next step toward Jesus. It's looking for opportunities to invite someone to take that next step toward Jesus. So in the story we just read with Andrew and Philip, they invited their, you know, Peter and they invited Nathaniel. Hey, come and see. They said, here's the next step. Come one more step and see more about Jesus. That next step for some people might be an invitation to come to church. For some, it might be an invitation to go have coffee. For some, it might be an invitation for, to come to your small group. Or it might be, hey, listen, can we just, you know, come over and, 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 and do something at your house? You know, whatever that is, it's just that next step that kind of gets people down the way. And Jesus talks about what's called the Great Commission. So the Great Commandment, he says, to love God, love others. The Great Commission, he says, is really this task of going. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them. And then the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? He says, I want you to teach them. He says, listen, that, that I want you to lead people toward those next steps. And so if it, we're investing in people, then it's looking for opportunities to invite them to come be a part of what Jesus is doing. Well, how do we know when it's the right time to invite? That's the, that's the, that's the challenging part. How do we know we're not being too pushy with somebody? How do we know we're not overstepping our, our bounds in that relationship? Well, that's where we've got to let God kind of lead us. You know, the book is called The Art of Neighboring, not The Science of Neighboring, right? It'd be easier if it was The Science of Neighboring, though. It's like two potluck dinners, invitation. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, three basket of muffins, and then you can tell them about Jesus. Like, if it was kind of mapped out like that, like, here's where I know I'm not going to overstep my balance. Here's where I know my motives are true. Here's where I know the invitation is going to be accepted, but it doesn't. And even with Jesus, it was different for every person. Because every person is different. But it's saying, listen, I'm not just going to invest in people. The ultimate goal is, is I want to invite them to take a step toward Jesus. Now, if they don't, I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to invest in them, but I'm going to look for the opportunities to do that. I'm going to be ready for that. And then the third thing we see is that there was this invest, this invite, but then there was also, there was this idea of including. Including. You know, what happened when Peter, or when Philip and, and Andrew went, you know, to, to Peter and went to Nathaniel? And they, they had invested in these relationships and they invited them to take that next step toward Jesus. And they took that next step. What, what happened? How did Jesus receive them? With open arms. He says to Peter, Peter, or he says to Simon, Simon, I'm, I'm going to call you Peter because this idea of rock is going to be what you're going to be. God has a plan for you. And he invited him into the story of what he was doing. With Nathaniel, he, he invites him into what, what's happening. He becomes one of his followers. And see, this is where I think the, the local church, what we do and who we are collectively, how we partner with what we're doing individually. Because as we're investing individually in the neighbors, in our neighbors, and, and not even just our neighbors, but in those who are closest to us, our coworkers, our, uh, the parents of our, our kids' sports teams, like, you know, all those things. As we're investing in those, looking for opportunities to invite, we as the church need to be ready that if people accept that invitation, we're ready to include them in what's going on. And it's this idea of what, what I call, you had the great commandment, then you had the great commission. I think this is the great community. The power of the local church. 
Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus is fixing to ascend to go be with the Father in heaven, right? After the resurrection. And he says this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, listen, you're going to be the ones who are my witnesses, my ambassadors. You're going to be the ones who, who, who invest locally, who, who invest a little bit wider, who invest in those who are different than you, who eventually have this love and investment into the world itself in this global way. And you're, you're going to be looking for ways to invite them in. But then as you invite them in, I think we've got to be inclusive of welcoming the people that are being invited. Because it says this in Acts 2, verse 47. That as the local church lived out this message, this mission, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That as these people heard the message of Jesus, invested in the people around them, shared with them the significant thing that Jesus had done in their life, and they took their next step, they were added to the church. They were welcomed in. They were brought in. And see, I think this is where, as a church, we've got to take some responsibility. You know, I don't know about you, but have you ever been invited to a party or maybe a dinner or, you know, maybe if you're a teenager, maybe you're invited to a sleepover or something like that, and and you got there, and and it felt like nobody really wanted you there? Like, maybe, maybe you got there. You know, it's like, hey, come to this dinner party and you you go to the dinner party and then all the people there were really great friends. And so all they're saying and talking about are all these inside jokes and memories that you have no idea about. And and when it comes time for dinner, everybody goes and everybody kind of has a place to sit down and they they don't even think about where you're going to sit, right? And then as everybody's making plans for what's happening the next time, it's like, oh, oh, hey, you guys can come if you want to. And in your mind, you're thinking, I'm not really sure I'm wanted here. If we're not careful, churches can become just like that. Is that we can say, listen, invest in people, invite them to come. And then we get surprised that people actually show up and they come. And they walk into a church and they say, okay, listen, all the stuff you're talking about, I have no idea what you're saying. It's all these inside jokes, all these inside like words, all this kind of stuff, right? I tried to find a place to sit, but apparently I was in somebody else's spot, Right? I don't know where the bathroom is, you know, I, I, you know, I, it seemed like everybody was so happy to see everybody else, but they could care less that I was really there. Listen, if we were a good host, we would never invite somebody over to our house for dinner and not focus on them coming. But see churches too often. And if I'm being honest, we, we do this sometimes too. We get so consumed with the people that we know our experience, we forget about the people who God's inviting to come here. So listen, if we're going to truly love people as Jesus did, as he does, if we're going to invite people to take that next step toward Jesus, we as as the local church, we've got to be leveraging who we are as a safe place that welcomes people and gives them a place to belong before they become. See, when Jesus called people and he called these men, he, he, he brought them in with all of their weaknesses, imperfections. 
They weren't scholars. They weren't religious people. They were average people. But Jesus gave them a place to belong. And in that relationship, he then led them to become more and more like him. I think so often churches do the opposite. We want people to become like us before we give them a place to belong. But Jesus, I believe, says, listen, come and find a place to be loved, to be welcomed, to be cared for. Listen, you might be here today and you might be that that person that accepted the invitation. And my hope and prayer is that you don't feel like you've been left out. If you have, I apologize for that. We're trying to change maybe how we think because we value you being here. But here's what I want you to understand is we value you being here. Not because you're a follower of Jesus or not, but because you're who you are. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're checking things out, if you're skeptical, if you have questions, as the pastor, here's what I want you to understand. You belong with us. And as we can grow together and talk together and do life together, my prayer is going to be that God makes himself evident to you. Because I believe that the most significant thing that can happen in your life is what happened in my life. Is I became a follower of Jesus. And imperfectly, but hopefully with some consistency, I'm trying to become more and more like him. That's what I want for us. For all of us. So if we, so here's the takeaway. Really simple. Will you commit to those three things? Will you commit to Invest in people. Many of you have already been doing that. You've stepped out of your comfort zone. You're getting to know your neighbor. Not so that you can bring them to church one day, but because God said, you need to know your neighbor's name. Me and my family, there's a a person we're we're, we're trying to get to know. Why? Because we've lived there 11 years and we don't know them. And that's not what God has for us. But then will you commit to inviting people to take that next step? And then will you commit as a church, to help include. And here's what I want to do as we, we end today. I want you to pull out this card that was in your seat. And I want everybody to pull out the card in your seat. Whether you're a first-time guest or not, pull it out and wave it at me, okay? I want to see. Like, this is going to be Zach as a teacher. I want to make sure, okay? If you don't have a card, find one, okay? All right? Now, turn the card over on the back. This card is, is, is part of what we're calling our all-in push. Because I believe this, that as you heard in the, the, the worship announcement video, Easter is the second highest attended Sunday for churches. Meaning this, is that we will most likely, and churches will most likely have more guests on Easter and Christmas than maybe we have the next six months after that. Most churches that are growing churches, they grow with new people on those big days more than just every single week. And so if we're going to be a church that says, I commit to investing, I commit to inviting, I'm going to commit to include. And so we need your help to make sure that as God brings people to us, as you invite people to come with you, they can have the best experience possible here. Because here's, what, here's this thing about this. What if on Easter Sunday, three weeks from now, 
What if God brought to us, because of your invitations, because of what he's doing in the lives of people, what if we had 100 first-time guests show up on that Sunday morning? Would we be ready for them? Doing what we normally do? Probably not. What if we had 800 people show up? I'm not saying God said there'll be 800 people here, but what, what if? Would we be prepared for them? Would we have that extra place at the, at the dinner party? Would we have that, that extra, little bit extra food to make sure that when they showed up, right, that they knew we were glad for them to be there? For us to do that, it's going to take all of us to make the commitment to be all in, especially on Sundays like Easter Sunday. And so Easter Sunday, I, I'm not going to apologize for this. I did the first service. I'm not going to apologize for this. Easter Sunday, I believe, needs to be a priority for you. You need to not miss Easter Sunday. That's not the day to sleep in. It's not the day to, to not serve because you have dinner plans or lunch plans. Listen, if you're, if you're going out of town for Easter Sunday, come back before Easter Sunday. I, I'm serious. Because if we as a church are serious about our mission that says we're a church where all people can experience life in Jesus, then all of us have to be committed to doing what it takes to make sure all the people that God wants to bring have a place when they show up. And we can't do that just doing what we're currently doing now. And maybe the reason why we're not seeing people say yes to the invitation is because we're not preparing for them when they show up. And we're not ready for them. So why is God going to send them to our dinner party? So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Three things for Easter Sunday. The first one is this. I want to challenge you to commit to worship. Look on the back of that card. Here's what I want you to do. Fill in your name. That's the easy part, right? Fill in an email. So you guys are kind of like, you have my email. Just give it to us again. Because you think that you shared with us the email that you changed, but you didn't. So do that. And then a phone number. And not the phone number you give out to solicitors that you never answer like a phone number that's actually connected to a person, right? And then here's what I want you to do, three things. Number one, my worship time. Today, before you leave this room, as a family, as a single adult, college student, whoever you are, when are you gonna worship that day? We're offering three services that morning. Why three services? Because if God brings more people to us, we wanna have room for them. Now, here's what I understand is that more guests are going to come later in the day. So 10 o'clock will probably be our largest service. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to not come at 10 o'clock. I'm asking you to serve at 10 o'clock. Well, Zach, what if we don't show up and no guests show up? Well, I'm going to look foolish because I'll be here by myself. But you know what I'm going to do? It's kind of like the people that RSVP know, I'm still going to have the dinner party, and we're going to trust that God's going to bring who God's going to bring here. But I, I, think, I think we're not going to have that problem. And so when are you going to worship? I would say worship earlier if you can. You're kind of like, okay, well, I'm inviting somebody to come. Then you come when they can. But if you're not or you're not certain or you can come early, come early. So before you leave, I want you to do this. Let, let us know. 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. When are you going to be here that day? Second thing is this, is a step to serve. Is that I am interested in serving in a specific way on Easter Sunday. So also the time, 
I want you to choose a service or multiple. Listen, you can serve more than once, right? There's not like a one-stop only kind of place. 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. When are you going to commit to serve? And there's four specific teams we want to invite you to serve on on that day. The welcome team, the welcome team helps greet people from the parking lot to the lobby. The host team helps to welcome, see, take the offering up, do all the stuff in this room. Our, our kids support team, this, they're going to be partnered up with our, our, our teachers in our kids ministry in preschool and elementary. And they're going to be there to help out that day. Now, listen, there's a background check required to, to do that because we are about safety for our kids. So, you know, that's kind of that requirement there. And then the Connect team is all about the next steps, helping people in our Connect Center do things like that. So you may be like, okay, well, I, I already serve one of those teams. Fill out the card anyway. Because we want to know you're committing to serve. Now, the third thing is this, is that we're going to train you. Is that you may be kind of like, I'm not sure how to greet people. Okay? It's not that hard, but it's, there's also some things to learn. And so next Sunday, April 2nd and April 9th, we're going to ask you to choose one of those training times from 1230 to 1 o'clock right after this service. We're going to gather together, no more than 30 minutes, and we're going to give you a simple training. So all the information, all the, the questions, all the things that you need to know that you want to know, you can do that. Now, here's the thing. You might be saying, well, you know, I, I'll serve anywhere. Well, go ahead and commit to something. Like, let us know which one you would prefer. It helps us out a little bit. And maybe you're kind of like, well, I, I can do multiple things. I can, I can serve two hours. I'll serve greeting and host. Do as much as you feel like you can commit to today. And then here's the third step, invitation. Who are you praying for and inviting this Easter Sunday? Let's put a name down there. You're like, well, I haven't asked them yet. That's okay. Put the name down there. You're like, I, I'm not sure their name. I know that they're this house, but I feel like God's saying invite them to come. Well, then put their address or the house across the street. But let's get specific. And then here's the thing. Is on that day, for all those who are serving, we're going to serve you. We're going to give you a breakfast, have a place to kind of hang out for a little bit, all those kind of things. And see, here's what we're going to be talking about on Easter. I'm going to preview this for you real quick. Because you might be thinking about, okay, I'm not sure who to invite. On Easter Sunday, we're going to be talking about a message called Sunday's Coming. And here's the big idea. Is that when Jesus was killed on the cross on that Friday, the hopes of the disciples and all Jesus' followers crashed. They didn't know what to do. The person they had trusted in was dead. The person they had followed had been killed. It says they actually fled in fear and they began to hide out. They had no hope, but the other thing they didn't realize was Sunday's coming. And then on that Sunday, three days later, as Jesus rose from the grave, hope was resurrected. And here's where we're going to talk to people is this, is that we all have those Fridays in life where hope disappears where the person we were trusting in lets us down. But we can live Fridays differently because we know that Sunday's coming. And so maybe there's somebody out there that you know is going through a cancer scare, that you know is going through a job loss, that you know is just struggling with their kids. 
And now you have an opportunity to say, listen, come hear about hope. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end the service a good five minutes early. It was supposed to be 10, but nobody's counting. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Is I believe that if we leave this room without making these commitments, chances are we'll forget about it. So we don't have armed guards at the door or anything like that. But we're going to end the service. And then I want you to take some time to fill out your card. Maybe talk to your spouse, talk to your family, get alone and say, okay, what are we going to commit to? What's going to happen? And then maybe you're kind of like, well, I got some questions. What does the host team actually do? Well, around the room, these four teams are going to have some representatives. So the host team's over there, welcome team over there, connect team there, and the kids team over there. And so if you're signing up for one of those teams, you can do a couple things with your card. You can fill that out and go drop it off at the table where you're going to commit to serving. If you're kind of like, listen, I don't have any questions, um, then just drop it off in the connect card basket. You can do that too. But if you have questions about that, go and ask the people questions. Go and ask them, hey, what does the host team do? What does the connect team do? What does it really mean to be a a lead team helper? But don't leave this room, especially if you're a part of River Club Church. Like this is your church. This is your family. Don't leave this room without first making that commitment today. That's what I'm asking you to do. Because I believe if we do that, God's going to honor us. And when God brings people to our church, we're going to be ready for them. And we're going to give them a place to belong. And we're going to love them as Jesus did. And we're going to see God do some crazy things. And God do some amazing things. And God change their lives and change our lives in the process. If we'll do what God's calling us to do. And to truly love our neighbors. All right? So we're going to end the service. And listen, maybe you're kind of like, I already got my card filled out. You got five, ten minutes to talk to the person next to you. Maybe you've been sitting by them for the whole series, but you don't know that neighbor. Take some time to hang out with people. All right, let's stand up. I want to pray a prayer over us and then we'll be dismissed for today. Father God, we come this morning again, just thanking you. And I know the service is kind of ending differently, but God, we just know this, that yeah, you call us to, to make commitments. And God, I know that, listen, there are so many people that are in this room that, that have made those commitments, that they're serving, that they're doing that. But God, I know that there's so many more who God, you're calling, especially on this Easter, to be all in. And so, God, I want to thank you for that. And, God, maybe there's a guest here today, and maybe you're you're, you're calling on their heart, and you're saying that they're like, I need to serve. God, they can serve as well. And maybe it's a great way for them to find out more about our church. But, God, we want to be a church that individually and together as a community, God, that we invest in people and we love them unconditionally, that we look for ways to invite people to take their next step, God, and that we include people. Give them a place to belong and to be loved so they can become, God, all that you have in store for them to become. So, God, we give this time to you. We give our commitments to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great week.